Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Howard Tybal. You say that like you're asking it a question, or you're surprised. Were you I, expecting somebody else? I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea the things that go through my mind before you say, "Oh, it's me, Howard." <laughs> oh, Let, gosh. do you know go what? Ahead. This is really this is big because you just got back from Los Angeles. Yes. How it, you you were at the? Guess uh, who I saw at the airport? Um. A a. AJ from The Sopranos. Really? I'm walking out of the bathroom when he walks in. I and I obviously didn't say anything, but I was certain it was him. You know, I and I'm like, holy cow, that's AJ from The Sopranos. So I just I didn't stalk him. I promise. Any but other any our star any other uh, starstruckness? Nothing. No. 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 We yeah. Except for all the the uh, the finance and heads of these schools were that these were the stars. How was that for a transition? That was that was really good. Okay. That was really good. This is the National Business Officer Association uh, a conference uh, was in Los Angeles. You are now back from there, as we are want to do. We are going to dig in a little bit to what you learned and what you presented at the NBOA conference in Los Angeles, and and hopefully hear about your first uh, feature film role uh, that I'm sure you got. As you, I, I know you auditioned uh, a little bit when you were there. Before we dig in, make sure to head over to tybalink.com, learn more about us and the show, sign up for that mailing list. Click on that blue button right on the homepage uh, so that we can keep you updated each week as new episodes and great new stuff is created. Okay. Uh, first, let's talk about the talk. Uh, what did you... The talk. The talk. Talk the talk for me, Howard. What did you yeah. deliver at NBOA? Well, I had the great fortune to be given three hours. As a matter of fact, it started late because Allison Levine went a little bit long, but she was amazing. And then I asked people if they could stay late. So I had three hours to talk about three big topics. How do we lead others through change? How do we conduct exceptional decision-making as our leadership teams? And how do we act as strategic communicators? So these are all three different topics, but they're very much interrelated. Each one of them is a separate workshop. So I had... I had the equivalent of, if I did these as workshop, nine hours of, not content, but we did it in three hours. And we got it done. It was We ended at 5.04. So we, we got it done from two to five. It was fantastic. What is the perspective that you want to offer them in terms of what their role is in the institution? That's a great, that's a great question because the, the thing that hit me the night before that I wanted to put front and center for us all is this question of identity. You know, I think that we all show up in our work with a particular identity, and it's often based on our credentials or what we do on a daily basis. So I sort of put right in front of them initially, is your identity the business officer or head of school, or is your identity or role to be the champion for change? Now, I said it can be both, but I think putting it top of mind that you are the champion for change, regardless of uh, the support you have, the sense that others are following you at this point, the fact that if you're not the head, uh, are you willing to step into that conversation and be a champion for change? And whatever that means, I mean, change that's going to help your school fundamentally uh, and everything that goes with that. So that was the question, and I had them talking about that. And I think this is an important thing for us all to be asking ourselves because as business officers, it's really easy to see ourselves as the finance person. 
right? Oh, yeah, right. Right? Right. Well, and that's a, that that's, gets to my next question, which is sort of around how, um, you know, what is the role of the champion for change in defining and shaping the culture of the institution? Well, it's, it, you know, as, as I do this work more and more, it's really about discovering. We, t- we talk about leadership is more about influence than it is about authority. You can, be, you can have great authority and have no influence, and then you're not a very effective leader. Or you can have great influence and very little authority, and you can make m- the mountains move. Um, so I think fundamentally it's about being willing to develop relationship skills and the willingness to get in there and motivate others. So much of our talk was about motivating others and keeping our energy on those that are going to move what we're trying to do forward while being empathetic listeners, while being willing to not have to change others who have a hard time with what we're trying to do. And it's not just the faculty. You know, the the thing I, I love doing when I'm with business officers or even heads or even, you know, in higher education is reminding people we have to stop talking disparagingly about the other side. And everybody can relate to this, that that we have a tendency. I, I made them do an exercise. I said, listen, I want you to talk about what some of your challenges are. And I want you to think about this. And you can't use faculty as your first example. And they were like, oh, yeah. oh. And they were like, oh man. <laughs> then just, what do I talk you, about? What do I talk I about nothing. then? <laughs> and that, you know, if I was with faculty, their complaints and frustrations would yeah. would, would be with administration. So it has a lot to do with we, we live in different camps. Uh, so for me, it's about influence and influence from the point of view of developing relationship skills and having the courage to speak up and say the tough thing. We, uh, you know, we've got. Uh, we had a number of people uh, tweeting uh, uh, things that you said. And so as a measure of things that are interesting for us to talk about, we're doing this something a little bit differently here as we as we move to the second half of the podcast. Okay. I am going to read to you a tweet that someone else posted during your conversation, uh, during and your I, presentation. And I have to guess who it was and what, I have to, what do I have to do? <laughs> it sounds not, like a game show. It is. I've got a giant wheel and a hammer. And, right, I'm uh, ready. So I'm going to read this tweet, and I want you to to reflect on why you think this is important to this particular audience, all right? Okay, I'm ready. All right, number one. Every workplace has some emotional-slash-economic pressure and inertia. The key is to promote play, purpose, and Ooh, potential. Good one. The, pur- the purpose—read the second part again. The key is to promote play, purpose, and potential. Now, we've talked about play on the show before. That was kind of an awakening, I think, for both of us, the power of play yeah. uh, from our well, conversation a, with Xavier. Was it Xavier that came out? So, so there's an article that I'm making available to folks, and we're going to make it available uh, when you on the site so you can get access to this. But we're, uh, there's an article from the Harvard Business Review, How Company Culture Shapes Employee Motivation. Mm-hmm. And there are three attributes that this study found promote positive motivation and then those that we're serving feel like they're being taken care of and there are three attributes that take away from personal motivation and the three positive ones are play purpose and potential and very simply play is you work because you enjoy it purpose is you work because you value the work's impact and potential is the work enhances your potential 
So those are three attributes, and I, I, I'm sure you do feel that way too, Pete. The mm-hmm. stuff that you focus on where you can play, where it has purpose or impact, and where you feel like you can grow from it, that gives you positive motivation. If you're around people you're serving that you've got that mindset, they're going to feel taken care of because you're going to give so much of yourself to them. The things that take away from uh, this, this sense of connection is emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia, mm-hmm. right? Emotional pressure when you work because some external force threatens your identity. Economic pressure, you work for a reward or to avoid a punishment. And then ultimately, inertia is when the motive is so far removed from the work that you don't even know why you're working. And what's fascinating about, I think, all of our work today is that we live in these two big domains, things that motivate us, play purpose potential, and the things that take away from us, pressure around emotional, economic, and then inertia. And I showed them a study that was done, um, and then I had them talking about this. So, So... What I found really helpful about this article that everybody should read is that just like the work that I'm doing around change and the four-room model of change that many people have seen now, going from contentment to denial to confusion and renewal, I think this six different ideas, three positive, three negative around culture, allows us to talk about culture in a way that normally we can't talk about culture. It's very hard to talk about culture. It's often something we think about in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. We reflect on culture. This is a way to think about what kind of culture do we have? And people raised their hands in the session. They said, you know what? We do a great job. We have a clear purpose, right? This was wonderful, by the way. They said, our mission is fantastic, right? The school's mission is fantastic. That's our purpose. We're all clear about that. Our potential is clear, too, is that we can grow in our work if we invest ourselves, but we need to do a better job with play. Oh, you know, sure. So, th- yeah. so think about that as adults working in a school environment, trying to motivate kids to be connected. One of the fascinating things about working with NBOA and independent schools is they are so closely connected to the young person experience of what it is to bring curiosity, what it is to bring a level of enthusiasm, even confusion to our work. But as adults, we forget that so quickly. So, so I think that this, this, this tweet that you just described really is pointing to this idea of we have to do a fundamentally better job of making our work simply more fun and bringing play to the work that we do. That's one thing I think we all should be thinking about more. All right. You you brought up a, uh, a buzzword, and that buzzword is confusion. We have a tweet about confusion, too. Uh, so here you go. Tweet number two. Leaders accept denial as normal. They listen and acknowledge. Learning starts at confusion. Yeah, I looked at the group, and I said, so when your students say they're confused, what are they fundamentally saying? And everybody agrees. They're finally saying they're trying. They're they're trying to engage, but as adults, confusion has been turned into a dirty word. Yes. If you're confused, there's something wrong, and this is the foundation of why none of us, why why our cultures don't let us fail, because we never want to reveal confusion. Great thing that happened in this piece. And this is going to apply to anybody listening to this, uh, whether it's again higher education or independent schools or even another type of industry where you've got experts. So somebody, we, so a woman raises her hand 
And this was part of the strategic communication section. And she says, I think I'm in the only, there were 200 people in the room. I think I'm the only faculty in the room. And we were talking was that, about. Was that true? I think so. Because nobody, it, I, I mean, I didn't say, I, actually, I did ask, are there, are there other faculty here? She raised her hand. I don't think other people did. Okay. So she's, this was part of the section where I showed them, instead of using language like unrestricted net assets, you should be using words like reserves. You know, instead of saying discount rate, you should be using words like today's dollars. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple. And then she said, and I've never had a bunch of business officers hear this so clearly. She said, you know, when you're presenting to faculty, when you're presenting to us and you're using language like that, we are not going to reveal we don't understand. It would be embarrassing for us to reveal we don't understand this language. And a wall is put up. So there was no better way that this group got to see the importance of getting off of jargon as a way to, you know, this internal conversation uh, and and find a way to connect at a more interpersonal level. That's the kind of that's the kind of openness we had in a room full of 200 people. It, it felt like it was a small group. It was fantastic. I wonder how much of that, the, the sort of the, the opposite is also true. When talking to a bunch of business officers, when you start bringing up these more faculty-oriented topics or how to, how to engage the play and purpose and how to, uh, how to engage the, the, this more natural language approach, how many of them would not be willing to express their discomfort in that process? I, think I mean, you're is that? Right. I, I'm asking that as in terms of is that a challenge for the body of business officers that we have to understand they're yeah. also trying to uncover? Well, see, that's a great point, and and a question I could have asked and I didn't ask, which was why do we have a hard time uh, speaking plain language? And I think part of it's it's a habit. Yes, we step into these roles, we learn the language, and we almost have to f then stop others using it. So it's almost like rather than Rather than fighting and, and going upstream, we just go with it, but we create these artificial barriers because we're just not speaking plain English. Yeah, I think so, too. Let's go on to another tweet uh, as we get close to wrapping up here. All righty. Um, so here we go. The new normal is uncertainty. That can be harder than change itself. Yeah. So in front of the group, I said, and I've been saying this for a long time, People don't have a problem with change. So let me say it again. People don't have a problem with change. They have a problem with the uncertainty that the change or the anticipation of the change creates. Now, recently somebody disagreed with me about this. And I said, okay, that's fair that, that people are pissed off about the change maybe or they don't they have a problem with it. But ultimately, they have a choice about how they're going to engage in it. The real issue is the uncertainty it creates that people don't have the ability to make a choice. Am I going to opt in or opt out? So what I want people to increasingly be aware of is how important it is to recognize that it's normal for people to have these kinds of reactions. And it's normal for people to fall into despair when you change things on them. And another final insight I want to share in this podcast that I said, and I'm going to keep saying, is we have to give people more permission to be in a difficult place 
not try to change them or fix them, uh, get away with get from the get with the program, and more like appreciating people have a hard time, letting them know what your expectations are, but letting them go through what they have to go through to move from a, being a difficult difficult place to moving to confusion. And you and I have talked about this more, but I'll tell you. I thought in some ways these ideas were going to become less important. What I'm discovering is there's greater listening today than there was even a year ago, Pete, from people saying, I understand why I need to embrace this. I was t I've been talking about this for a very long time. It's beginning to feel like other people are picking up on it and saying, yeah, I got to start embracing this myself. I love it, and it gets to uh, this this other sort of repeated refrain, I should say, um, about transparency in go leading through change, right? And being transparent to our final tweet, people don't buy what you want to do. They buy why you want to do it. So I show uh, a wonderful video as part of my decision-making model that was from Simon Sinek. Many of us have seen it, where he talks about the why, the how, and the what. And he uses the phrase... Uh, because it's very corporate focused. It's it's he talks a lot. He uses examples that are corporate, and as you know, I work primarily with nonprofits and education. And he says at the end, people don't buy what you do; they buy why you want to do it. And when that when I, I stop the video and I say, take the word buy and change it to buy in. People don't buy into what you want to do; they buy into what why you want to do it. And I just and I just told the group. And I, and I think this is really important. People don't care what you want to do. It's irrelevant what you want to do. What matters and moves people to get, to decide what they're going to get behind you is why you want to do it. We have to develop more regular discipline of not just articulating, here's what we want to do. And assuming we're going to get people behind us, we need to have explicit language about why we want to do this and how it's going to help the school. Uh, the last thing I'll say that that is another sort of key takeaway I would want people to be reminded is sometimes the best you can say to people who are upset with the change is it's not going to be good for you. It's going to be, but it's right for the school. And that might be the truth. Telling people this change is going to be good for you, and then they discover it makes their life harder, you're going to lose trust. Maybe the most honest thing you can say is it's not, you might have a hard time with this. This might not make your job easier. And it's right for the school, and this is why it's right for the school. Mm hmm and you got to say that. Most people will stop and say it's right for the school and assume that the other person bought into it. No. Why is it right for the school or the institution? So so those were the themes. And we had, we had three hours of this, Pete. It was that kind that's of— fantastic. It was really wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what a great group. I mean, this is these are committed people who are devoting their lives to, to helping the younger generation uh, move to a new direction and— they recognize as business officers of independent schools, they got to really figure out how to keep making the case because the cost structure of these private institutions as public institutions are becoming better at delivering education, they've got to keep differentiating themselves. So it is not an easy role that they're in, but as committed people, uh, they will find the way. I can't think of a better way to wrap it up. Howard Teibel, thank you so much for sharing these insights. Uh, it sounds like a great conference. Welcome home. 
Yeah, I wish you were there. This was uh, this is a great conversation, some great insights, and make sure to head over to tybelink.com and check out the show notes for this particular episode, episode 137, and we will have links to the the uh, business review, Harvard Business Review article Howard mentioned, and uh, to these tweets. You can see who was active, the tweets that we talked about in particular. Uh, thank you all for downloading and listening. On behalf of Howard Tybel, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc.